0: Try 30 of them. 30 <laughs> decades? No, 30
1: years. 300 years. <laughs>
0: 30 years, it feels like. 300. 300 years. It you feels heard it like I've first been guy. A- Hello, and welcome to the Pending Approval Podcast. We're a talk show highlighting the ups, the downs, and the complete head fuck moments of the business world. Being advertising queens, we've got a skew on advertising. I'm your host for the show, Glenda Winyard. And I have producer G here with me today. How are you? Hello. I'm good. I'm good.
2: Back from my holiday, which was very nice. Yeah. How was the big trip? I wouldn't say big. Adelaide's not big, but it's nice.
0: These days, G, any trip over a border is a big trip. Now, the subject of our podcast today is marketing, and our guest comes from the technology sector, that's an industry that never stops changing. Pat, you've got a lot of equipment here. I think you're going to find this interesting today. <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> today
2: on the show, we have Drew McKinnon here to discuss all things tech and marketing. Welcome, Drew.
0: Yes, Drew. Welcome to the studio. It's a wonderful to have one of my most favorite Scotsmen in the podcast. How's it going?
1: Ah. Uh. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's going very well, thanks, apart from the weather.
0: You should be used to weather like this. Not like this. Not quite like this. No, it's,
1: it's torrential outside.
0: It is torrential. I'm completely drowned today.
2: We nearly canned this, by the way. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Mm, the rain really... I was,
1: I was surprised I managed to get here on time and no one else was here.
2: We're in advertising. We're always late, okay? That's, true. That's fair. Late to trends, <laughs> late to meetings. It's
0: fine. Look, Drew, we always like to kick the show off with a bit of a bio. So look, give us a bit of a background. What's your history?
1: Right. So um, I've got about 10 years of B2B, B2C tech marketing behind me. I started in uh, consumer electronics, marketing laptops to students. Uh, I've grown into all sorts of things now, I've I've gone from marketing tablets and working with Google to launch the first seven-inch tablet in, in the UK, um, all the way to uh, selling refrigerators that go on top of, uh, of buildings and you know refrigeration AC, refrigeration units, those big things, to uh, massive civil engineering companies. I moved to Australia five years ago and I am currently working with Conica Minolta, marketing and selling the... MFPs in the corner, the multifunction printers in the corner that you all use and love every day, and they never break down and they work perfectly. So,
2: <laughs> I have a sense that we're going to have to cut that, bit, don't we?
0: No, <laughs> <laughs> but I have to laugh about us uh, with our Konica Minolta because I always ring the service guys and they come in and it's always because I haven't stacked the printer properly. How many idiots like us do you think you guys get?
1: I, don't want to put a number on it but probably 80% of calls that we receive are pretty solvable in person.
2: (laughs) Your poor customer service team they must like hate every second of their lives until they get a really like interesting call and they're like oh I haven't
0: heard this one before. (laughs) No
1: of course they love every second of their lives everybody's exceedingly happy and the customer comes first and whatever the customer wants they get.
0: So you're in marketing Hmm. what made you decide to go into marketing?
1: Well, when I studied politics and international relations at university, um I came out of that slightly disillusioned about the political world yeah. <laughs> and decided that probably wasn't for me. So I kind of fell into it a little bit. I worked with a not- for-profit doing some fundraising and sort of marketing work for them, um, and decided I was pretty interested in that direction. and so yeah, that was that was it for me, really, what i liked about marketing is you can see the difference you're making every day so I can tell the difference I'm making when I change an image on a website or when I put a new campaign live I can see the differences in traffic and the differences in leads that are coming in and things like that so so yeah the immediacy of the kind of response to what I was doing was was attractive to me as well
0: because that's the big difference between advertising and marketing so I always look at it and I go we come in at a very specific portion of the campaign for instance where you're following it right from inception or like product inception almost right through to the end sale yeah so it's quite incredible really the differences
1: yeah i mean to be a, an effective marketer you need to be able to do a little bit of everything really um to be a good generalist marketer so you know we contact people like you because you have the expertise that we We don't have the time to kind of get into the detail because we've got to go and talk to the product managers who are bringing a new product up that's going to be in the market two months later at the same time, so... Don't make yeah. us
2: blush, Drew.
0: Now, Drew, thinking <laughs> about our audience, many uh, business owners they kind of grapple with how to set up their companies and um, what you know, way they should structure themselves. So, if you think about the marketing function, and and they're not really quite sure what it does. So, what does a marketer actually do? We are we obviously don't know. That's why we're asking the question. <laughs>
1: I'm sure all your clients would be very happy to know you don't have a clue what they do. I love that question. What do marketers do? I've been getting it my whole career. What do you do? Do you just paint nice pictures and color them in? Do you go and have lunches with your agencies?
2: And you say yes. And
1: I say yes. I do do all of that, but I also do some hard work as well. Look, I think in um, I think marketing is a severely underrated area in small business, particularly. I mean in the last 10 years everything's gone more digital and in the last year itself we've seen another catalyst come in and just accelerate that digital transformation the way to take advantage of that is in marketing and get more smart with your data and get more smart with your programs out to your audience and understanding your audience it's really underrated in the small business area it's a way to get you know a a leg up on your competition when they're not doing it so Sometimes small businesses will struggle to match the the big spend in marketing with the ROI at the end. Sales may take the full credit for the sale at the end of the day, um, but the assist along the way has come from marketing. And I assure you, it's not because of a salesman that they, they know about your brand most of the time. So.
0: Well, so the, when you do all the attribution modelling, you can see that. You can actually see that when you've got this ad in place, you know, the sale actually happens at the other end, you know, the lead inquiry comes in, the sale actually happens at the other end, and we see it across multiple businesses. The ROI is the big thing. The um, I read a very interesting article last year about uh, the C-suite, and with big Businesses and and government and things like that, and the and the big question being around the marketing director or the or the pres marketing you know president of marketing, what the uh, return on investment was. So that marketing return on investment, the focus mm. in there was really huge, and being able to quantify it now is Is a significant area, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it's the area that most businesses struggle mm. most with. Most marketing departments find hardest. I work in a traditional industry at the moment, and I have done pretty much my entire career. Actually, what's happened in the last 20 years is, um, the digital smarts are there to make that happen, to make that ROI possible, but the data and the will willingness and the willingness of the company to, you know, adopt those, those technologies and change the way they do things has to be there and the behavior changes have to go with it. I think I've probably worked in one company that's done it really, really well. And that was Dykin in the UK. What they did with their sales team was, they said, if your previous interaction with your customer is not in CRM, and how you acquired that lead in the first place is not in CRM, we're not going to give you any commission for Ooh, that sale.
0: Rough. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, an incredibly, an incredible commitment from the top down to using and expanding your data, and you know, increasing the information that's in your CRM so that you get the benefit in 10 years time. Um, So, you know, they'll be sitting pretty next time they want to upgrade their systems. So um, to go from one CRM to another, they will be sitting pretty with loads of data, really well organized, and they'll just be able to transfer that over. A lot of companies are already struggling with transferring data systems over and getting accurate data throughout the whole, the whole sales cycle. I think marketing can be a little bit ahead of the curve in doing that top of funnel. Um, You know, We sit down every week and talk about all of the stats that we can see Mm -hmm. and the information we get from our Google Analytics, our websites, our our media buying platforms, but that's not really being reflected post-sale or or post-lead.
0: It's very interesting.
2: Mm, I worked with a very large company that I will not say the name, they will remain anonymous, but they had a complete disconnect with their sales team and even their CRM. And so Mm. they weren't able to use their CRM for any marketing at all. And I was working for a large agency at the time, and we would sit there every single whip with their larger team, their C-suite, and be like, this is a huge problem. Like this is something you have to fix. And they just – didn't care like that. They they just didn't want to change because it's such a traditional company. They were just thinking like, you know, that's just a phase. That's it's, it. a, it's a fad.
1: And things don't change until, you know, global pandemics make them change. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, if there's a positive out of what's happened in the last two years for marketing, it's that, you know, digital technologies and data is going to be taken a lot more seriously by those large traditional companies going forward. Um, out of necessity so yeah it's a it's a it's a struggle i don't think that you know every company's on a spectrum of having adopted the the right way to do things but as soon as the problem we have is as soon as they adopt the next thing another technology comes out and you know people talk about AI and machine learning i don't think they have a clue what that's going to do to their whole sales process when it comes down comes out and becomes you know, a bit more, um, when it reaches a saturation point in the market, it's going to be, be an absolute paradigm change for them.
2: Yeah, it's going to tear everything up. Every yep. single rule book that they have is going to absolutely shred it. Absolutely. I'll be
0: retired by then. <laughs> now, Drew, we all um, get to observe uh, different brains from afar you know, like all sorts of different campaigns that are out in the marketplace mm. and things like that. Is there ever a campaign that you've seen over your career that you've gone, oh, my God, I wish I was part of that?
1: Oh, loads. <laughs> I think what, So I'm from a B2C background going into B2B. I, I look back at B2C marketing a bit enviously. Um, you know, I was involved in some pretty fun campaigns when I was uh, marketing laptops, et cetera. And, and, you know, marketing printers can be a little bit less... Edgy, let's put it that way. Recently, I mean, the most recent campaigns I've really, really liked. It. All of the travel industry has really stepped up in the last kind of two months as Australians are going back to traveling around Australia and maybe even New Zealand if you're lucky enough to get on a flight. The, the adverts coming out of that industry at the minute are pretty amazing. Um, the one that um, Aus- Travel Australia did just before, before the lockdown happened which I think was with Kylie Minogue and mm. all of your famous celebrities singing. I can't remember the song, but a very funny song. That kind of marketing is fantastic, and Australia does a really good. The Australian travel industry does a really good job of skirting that line between humour and offence very, very well. And i mm-hmm. I find that I find that excellent, and I, I that that really appeals to me. I'd love to be able to. Uh, running some of those those campaigns.
2: I think someone else that does that really well is Meat and Livestock Australia, like with their lamb ads, always. It's always that kind of fine line between are we offensive, are we making fun of the vegans, like, you know, how are we we running this? And I think they do a great job.
1: Was that one with the big wall? Yeah, Yeah. when they knocked through the wall.
2: Yeah, that was great.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, those are the most recent ones I can think of. Obviously, my – the advertising I'm picking up at the minute is very Australian-centric. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I I like the way that Australian brands are uh, skirt that line.
0: So you've referred to the campaigns that you've worked in uh, for business to consumer. Mm. Which campaign were you involved with that you enjoyed working on the most?
1: Oh, making me think back half a decade now. Only <laughs> half a decade? <laughs> Only half a decade. That's a long time. It's um, not really. Try
0: thirty of them. <laughs> I feels like it. Thirty decades? No, <laughs> thirty years. Three hundred years. Thirty years. It feels 300 like three hundred years. It you heard it here like first, been, I was a bit guys. A, I was for three hundred years. It was a bit of a slip
1: of the tongue, wasn't but it? <laughs> over
0: thirty. Over thirty years now. It's not good. I'm never gonna <laughs> let you forget that.
2: Every time it you say feels like every time years. you say, Oh, Richard and I are some of the oldest people in the office, I'll be like, Yeah, three hundred years old. <laughs> yeah. It feels
0: like it.
1: Your secret's out now, Glenda. Yeah, totally. I, I did a few good campaigns with um with with Google back in the day. Um, I mentioned it earlier, who I worked for. We uh, partnered with Google to launch the first seven-inch tablet. So this is back in the days when tablets were like, wow, you know, when all the, f- the rage. we kind of like iPad two kind of era, yeah. When they were all the rage and people were experimenting with different sizes of tablet, and the phone industry was upsizing everything. This is back when you know Samsung were bringing out their, their Galaxy Notes and trying to get them as big as possible. So this was the first seven-inch tablet on the market. Uh, partnered with Google to do that and. Obviously, when partnering with Google comes nice big budgets. But what I liked about this campaign wasn't that we got to spend a lot of money. It was that we had a real direct relationship between what we were doing online, on TV, in shopping malls, and the sales that we could see through the registers. So we were we were partnering exclusively with a, a big tech retailer in, in the UK. We could very easily and very um, quickly see the sales reflected from when we were doing our big advertising campaigns through the tills. Yeah, that would be my favorite campaign. Um, We got to be a bit creative with it within the limits of, you know, the brand guidelines, Google. (laughs) the Google (laughs) brand guidelines. (laughs) It was really refreshing to be able to track that through retail because you just, back then, I'm sure it's improved a lot now, but back then you were spending lots of money up front doing lots of awareness campaigns, but you just weren't able to see that through the tills reliably mm. because it's too fast, so.
2: Right, and how were you involved in that? Like what were you specifically doing from a marketing perspective to influence that campaign?
1: Yeah, so I was in charge of all the um, the mall based and the in-store POS, mm. so building the POS out, creating that with the creative agency, building the, the, the wider campaign, Uh, with them and how it's reflected in the shopping malls doing the experiential stuff on the floor as well so we got to build out a nice experiential uh, with a couple of agencies in the UK it was totally unrelated to tablets really but where we got to you you ever heard of slacklining yeah yeah so we did some slacklining in in malls and got some professional slackliners in there amazing to just jump around and catch some attention and then linked it very very loosely to uh, you know a, a seven inch google tablet that Was you know a hundred hundred dollars cheaper than your your nearest competitor? So, have a go on the Slack line. Here's a voucher. Get into the store, get yourself a seven inch Google tablet, (laughs) and while you're waiting to get on the Slack line, have a look at this. And it's amazing that it works, but it does
2: need a line into the internet. We've got you, yeah, something like (laughs) that.
1: I can't remember what the exact line was, but um, I think it was about flexibility actually. And
2: I love doing things on the go, experiential. I feel like especially during COVID, I miss experiences so much that like direct, literally touch, feel, see, smell, mm. anything you can kind of do with your senses with an audience or with a customer or a consumer, that's really missing at the moment. And I feel yeah. like, well, I've, I've got an events background, right? So obviously I'm biased, but I would love to be able to have those one-on-one connections with people again. And, you know, working with that big um, tech company that I was with for a long time, we used to do random things all the time. You just go out in public and do some random shit and hope that it sticks with people. And, but you know, you can't do that anymore because safety and all that kind of thing. But I feel like it's a real, something that's really missing from marketing at the moment.
1: It is. It's it's definitely an element that's missing. And there's a real hesitancy to go back to trade shows and events. Mm. Um,
2: They're also expensive.
1: They're very expensive. Very
2: expensive.
1: And, um, you know, when, you, when you've done one year and you've you know, done okay through that year, even though it was a bad year for everyone, and you haven't spent those big dollars mm. on events, it's very hard to persuade a company to very difficult. to do that.
0: Now, Drew, we've all worked on uh, different campaigns, and I asked this of our last guest, uh, Stuart Gillies. You know, you have everything that looks like it's going to go right, and then all of a sudden it doesn't fire. Have you worked on a campaign like that before, where you, you've got all the ducks in a row? Everyone thinks it's going to be amazing. You know, all the forecasts, the sales are going to walk out the door, and then it just doesn't happen.
1: No, never. Everything's gone perfectly. As well, if fine.
2: anyone's going to admit to that.
0: I
1: would <laughs> no, <I>
2: thought. I <laughs> I'd never admit to that. I think that's
0: really interesting, you know, when you look at, at why campaigns can go wrong.
1: No, of course. Of course, I've worked on campaigns that <laughs> haven't gone right. I'll I'll Don't say bow that, into
2: it, Drew. Stay I'll, strong.
1: I'll say that my colleague once did this. <laughs> <laughs> An old colleague of mine ran a campaign. No, look, there's you never know what's gonna happen until it hits the market. And I'd I'd say the campaigns where this where I've experienced this happening are more towards the traditional side of media, um and advertising, where there's larger spends and probably less likely to happen nowadays because you can make changes on the fly a lot easier nowadays, but where there's been big spends in traditional media maybe when I first started in the, in the industry where it was hard to pull things and change things, yeah, sometimes you, you, I haven't seen a satisfactory result for the spend. And But that's the best thing about marketing nowadays and digital marketing is if you get it wrong it's very easy and very quick to change it and update things and and tweak them and test what's going wrong and identify what's where the weakness is.
2: Do you think that's impacting spends in traditional nowadays anyway? Like, do you think that the the swing, because obviously there's that 60-40 rule or 70-30 that everyone talks about with your digital to traditional, but that's swinging quite fast. So do you think that impact and how you can shift and change your spends is really impacting that spend level with marketers as well?
1: Yeah, massively. It has to. I mean, You have to go where you can see the results and – Part of a marketer's job is to be an evangelist for that traditional media as well, because we know it plays that part in the awareness and the, the top of funnel, and it does drive some results when in the right circumstance, it's got its place, but it's really hard to fight that battle. It's becoming increasingly hard to fight that battle when you've got you know channels that provide immediate transparency to what's going on.
2: And how do you go, because obviously at the top there's still a lot of more traditionalists, how do you go convincing them that digital is the right way to go when people are saying like, but I can't see my ad on TV and I haven't heard my ad on the radio so how do I know that it's live? Like how do you convince them that even though digital you can see this attribution, how do you go about saying to them that like actually TV is not worth it?
1: Most people I've found when you put the numbers in front of them will agree, but I I think a lot of of the motivation for doing traditional media is, as you just pointed out, like it's a phrase I don't like in the workplace, proof of industry, but it gives marketing a very easy way to prove that they're doing something. Mm. And what did we say earlier? People don't know what marketing are doing. Well, hang on, we just wrapped a bus that's driving through your neighborhood and you can see that there's, you know, a great piece of advertising there. I might have had to spend... Lots of money on that when I could have driven, you know, 100 leads for you instead. But yeah, the wrong motivation behind the marketing spend can sometimes lead to that kind of thing. It really depends on the leader. You know, good leaders will will adapt to evidence and change and, and will take advice from people who are in the thick of things and, and that they've hired to be the experts in that area. Less strong leaders may need to, to, to wrap a bus to feel like they're doing any marketing.
0: <laughs> yeah, the number of times we've run a campaign where I've run a campaign that's been targeting the managing director's wife, it's been incredible. Like, I wish yeah. I had a dollar for every time I've done it. Yeah. You know, seriously, you no. do get a lot of that on our side.
1: Uh, a good a good way around it is to find out what websites your um, your managing directors oh, tend put to them on the frequent and whitelist them. Yeah, that's that's a good way to get around it. At least they're, at least they're seeing it and you are, mm. you know, nine times out of ten your md is is going to be someone you want to target anyway yeah that, that can be a good way around it but yeah it is a difficult battle sometimes to pull that that traditional view towards digital but it's getting easier yeah every year gets easier and I hate to talk about the pandemic because everybody talks about it a bit too much but last year it got Ten times easier to do because it just took everything out of the equation.
2: Yeah, no one's on buses, no one's
0: doing public transport, there's
2: none That's of it. that. Yeah.
0: Except for TV. Like TV just went crazy. Mm. For a while there, it just had, couldn't get any advertising on it and then all of a sudden it just went through the roof and yeah. you just couldn't buy TV for the love of God. I imagine it know? was
1: mostly on demand as well though. It was, no, was no. It all traditional.
0: Broadcast television just went crazy because broadcast TV, mm. main channel, peak is still your number one awareness driver.
1: And because everybody had it on in the background waiting for the the COVID numbers and for Gladys to get up and tell us what was going on.
0: Uh, The the, the relationship (laughs) with TV or video has increased considerably even Mm. before COVID. So people just have more ways of accessing it now. And that's what you've got to think. You've got to just start thinking. And media has always been a layered kind of... Uh, process that you've got to go through. You have to lay a media to get a great campaign. And um, it's just another example of what you need, need to do there. But you're talking about 2020, you know, that was such a challenging year for so many people. Yep. And a large proportion of your business is actually marketing printers. You think about New South Wales alone, 39% of the office population basically moved to working from home. Now, that's a significant number. It's a massive, massive number. I'm volume. actually
2: surprised it wasn't more than that.
0: Yeah, it, that seems it, was u- it got up to <laughs> 60% at one stage, but it averaged out at 39% overall. Mm. Mm. So when you think about that, what are some of the challenges that you've had to face? Like as offices closed and then people moved to working from home, what's actually going to happen in the future, do you think? Where, where does that take you as an organisation? Because you've got a very interesting kind of dilemma there, haven't you?
1: Yeah, it is a dilemma, and you're quite right. The bread and butter of our of our customers and um, of our users is office based. So, large offices or small offices, everybody needs an A three printer or a photocopier or a scanner in the corner.
0: I snuck back to work because I lost mine. I, I love my printer, so I, I had to sneak back into work to to make sure I could still print. <laughs>
1: And you're, <laughs> and you're struggling now. No, I've got, it, my she's, she's not struggling. My, pr-
0: my printer works for me. It loves me.
1: <laughs> it's been difficult for a little while for the printing industry though. So we have this term, and I don't know if you should keep this in, but we have this term in the printer industry which is called the, the paper cliff. And it's this theory that people are going to stop printing and just start using PDFs for everything and, you know, digital signatures and, and all of that. There was steadily a bit of a decline every year year on year people printing less people printing less people using software more people using pdfs more to do to do what they need to do coronavirus in 2020 was just the catalyst that brought that cliff closer so smart players in the industry have known this is coming and have been investigating other ways to diversify their portfolio of products and Um, services and solutions that they offer to their customers so there is a range of solutions and services that almost everybody in in the industry offers so it's now about accelerating the growth in those areas and that's what the focus needs to be for traditional industries no matter whether it's printing or anything else the focus needs to be on diversification and accelerating growth in new areas of business um in order to, you know, printing's not going anywhere for a while. We've not quite had the cliff. We've just had a very steep downward, like a roller coaster. It's coming back <laughs> up a little bit. We've had the drop. You know, people are going back to the office and people are printing, not in the volumes they used to maybe, but, you know, that's that steady decline is going to keep going. Uh, it's been a wake-up call for everybody in the industry who hasn't,
0: Hasn't thought about it. Hasn't
1: thought about it enough or hasn't committed enough effort towards diversification.
2: It's so funny that you say that too, because there are so many new competitors in the landscape that I find are doing slightly different things, but they're all thinking of what's next. Like, how do we get over that paper cliff that you called it? So is there anyone that you've identified that's kind of up and coming in the tech sector that you'd Kind of be not concerned about, but you've noticed, and you're really kind of keeping an eye on what they're doing.
1: Oh, there's too many, isn't there? <laughs> it's uh, that kind of that kind of question is really um, really difficult to answer because there's just so many startups and so many small businesses that are disrupting the tech space. So Australia's got a, a great example of a, a tech disruptor in in Atlassian that that, that mm. just absolutely. Ripped apart the the kind of rulebook for their space, and they've just exploded, right? And they're they're doing great acquisitions in in things like productivity tools and um, project management tools as well. So you see them everywhere now. But things like Canva as well that have just totally disrupted Adobe, and Adobe's now looking like a slow beast, right?
2: Mm, well, it always has been, but that's
1: I mean, in the creative suite side, maybe yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure some some Adobe advocates would disagree with you, <laughs> but their model of charging you extortionate amounts of money to to do relatively simple creative changes, that, that's got to change and it's got to go out the window. So in the tech space, the physical product space, I think it's the margins that are involved in the physical tech space are so small that companies are all going towards the software space and you you have to, and changing their models. I think the disruption that's gonna come in the tech space is gonna be changing pricing models. Lots of places now rely on a lease model for big pieces of tech in the office space. That's not gonna happen anymore. It's gonna be monthly contracts. It's gonna go to a mobile kind of first pricing. Yeah, well, well, there's not one in the tech space that I can really, that really jumps out. The trend from large to small is just happening everywhere Mm. you know it's another element of that being able to grab share a voice that you couldn't grab through traditional media so through social media through digital marketing a small team of people can build a great product and actually take on the big guys now Um, and it feels like it's been like that way for a while Mm. but you know, coming from the UK where the startup scene accelerated pretty quickly and when I moved over here five years ago, you could tell Australia was qu- quite a bit behind kind of the US. The US is obviously way ahead, but kind of behind Europe as well in terms of that startup culture, but that disruption culture. Absolutely. It's it's now getting there. It's mm. getting there a lot more. So the big banks are going to get disrupted, all the big players in, in accounting are all feeling it as well. Mm. Yeah, it's it's much more... Small and graft and growth than it was five even five years ago.
0: Every industry vertical is going through that, like any anyone in businesses. And uh, we did a piece of research last year, towards the end of last year, and lots and lots of business owners came back and said we didn't raw management, we didn't, you know, we didn't really understand how quickly we needed to pivot. Yeah, and I think that need to pivot is something that you know, people have learnt from last year, there is, is an absolute need for their business in order yeah. to survive.
1: Couldn't agree more. Um, mm. I mean, I was just thinking of the electric car industry and, and Australia's got the brakes on at the minute on that kind of mm. thing. And it's just, it's crazy that growth has kind of been halted in that area and the demand is there, the consumer wants it, right? I want to buy an electric car. I've been looking for it at the minute just priced out it's sixty thousand dollars for one that's that's worth having because of the government issues the mm. export issues the energy issues the scaling these yeah. things up should be a priority for a country like Australia and and for us as consumers as well. I'm not going to call Tesla small but the small <laughs> company or the long lean long. company taking Absolutely. on the big the big old giants needs to happen
0: totally a hundred percent with you. Look, one of the things that I wanted to ask, you know, we do all this research and and often the number one medium most useful Hmm. for lots of categories, including technology, but also retail, that kind of scenario, is the the website. And yet I often find the website has got one of the... Least amount of attention really that's paid to it properly. If, mm. if you get where I'm coming from, is this a dig, Glenda? No, 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 <laughs> not a dig at yours at all. I'm just, I'm just asking you how how important is the website and as part of the marketing toolkit?
1: It's the most important part of the marketing toolkit. It's it's your shop. It's your bricks and mortar store now. It's um, whether you're whether you are actually e-commerce or not. It's the it's the place where 99% of people are going to find out more about your brand and more about your product and more about your service. So it's the most important part by far and away.
2: Who actually controls the user experience on a website? Like is it marketing or does sales have an input or is it often, you know, the product team?
1: Um, it's marketing usually. depends how big the company is really. Mm. Um, you know, if you're in a – luxury position where you can you can have a digital marketing team that has a UX person in it fantastic (laughs) Um, but usually it's a bit of both the user influencing what you're doing and marketing trying things out and testing things so really the user should be telling us what the right experience is and they do that through their behavior or through research and testing but yeah marketing needs to own that shop front as I like to call it.
0: Well, Drew, thank you so much for coming along today. No worries. We absolutely enjoyed having you here, and I think that uh, your willingness to share your knowledge about marketing will really help some of our listeners. So, thank you for that.
1: Well, that's nice of you to say. I hope so. I've I got a hundred so. other things I could say, but <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll get you on again. Don't yeah. Worry. Okay. <laughs> There's always time. We'll talk about golf.
1: Well, I have to play first, and then we'll, then I'll have something to talk about.
0: I'm apparently a really good chipper, but I can't do anything else. So, when we need to chip our way out of whatever the rough or whatever it's called, I'll I'll just let you take that shot.
2: You're obviously a very good chipper if you know what the rough is. No, I went for
0: lessons. (laughs) I know you all think this is hilarious, but I did. I went for lessons, but I got told I could chip and do nothing else.
1: Did you go for one lesson and it was chipping? No,
0: I went for multiple lessons. Okay. I actually, you'll laugh about this. I did an analysis for all the single women in the office on where they could find a partner, a potential partner. This isn't going in. No, seriously. (laughs) And so I took a whole lot of of the ladies uh, and we all went and got golf lessons so that they could find a potential partner. It failed, but that's did that happen? Well, I I wasn't there,
2: but it did happen. I can
0: tell you that it did happen. happen. When did this happen, 1950? (laughs) (laughs) No, I wasn't working in (laughs) 1970 years ago. (laughs) I'm Generation X, thank you. <laughs> no, it happened, uh, a la- uh, well, at the beginning of last year, a couple of years ago, actually.
1: And nobody found a partner?
0: No, they did. One of them did. It was good. My husband and I took them. It was great. It was great. It was a bit of fun.
1: One out of how many single ladies in the office?
0: Well, that was four of us that went. Four that's single not ladies. So 25%, we, 25% strike 25%. I
1: think that's better than Tinder.
0: Thanks, Drew.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor.
2: If you want to get in touch with GW, you can contact our very own Richard Turner. We'll put his link in our bio or you can email her directly. We'll also have a link for Drew here. What do you want, Drew? LinkedIn, email?
1: I'll give you my LinkedIn. Oh, Hit me up on LinkedIn. <laughs>
0: Oh my God. Catch me on LinkedIn. Sorry, is that. I'm just going to say, old? I don't like LinkedIn at the moment. I think it's getting far too personal. Like the other day, it was my birthday, and people started sending me birthday messages. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, I don't have that in LinkedIn.
1: It's not personal if you never no. go on it, Glenda.
0: I do go on <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good one.